This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey guys, it's Sean here to introduce you to another bonus episode of Real Blend, where we have a uh, interview with Where the Crawdads Sing director Olivia Newman. Um, not a full show this week because we have a couple of things in the hopper, a few big uh, If It Happens projects that the minute they do come together, uh, you guys will be the first ones to hear about it. But in the meantime, we got a chance to speak with Olivia about her work on the adaptation for uh, the best-selling novel Where the Crawdads Sing. Uh, and it's a really, really great interview about um, directing in the elements uh, and how she had to take this uh, period book, essentially, uh, and set it, although it's supposed to be set in North Carolina, uh, bring it to Louisiana and all the challenges that come with that. I also wanted to say uh, at the top of the show that we are making a change to the blend game this week. Um, we're going to change it up to go with uh, the theme of Nope and the fact that it's um, a scary movie coming back to theaters, especially in the summertime. Uh, we're going to play hashtag scare blend. And what we want to do is come up with the movie uh, that made you most scared when you were in a theater, the movie that you were watching that just had you crawling uh, out of your skin and essentially just, you know, hiding your eyes in your chair. We want to be able to come up with uh, your choice for the movie that made you the most scared in a theater. Uh, and again, we're going to call that hashtag scare blend. I'll, I'll repeat that at the end after the, um, after the uh, interview with Olivia Newman. But in the meantime, uh, I wanted to throw it to that because this is a really great adaptation. Uh, I had not read this book. I know the book is super popular. Uh, it's backed by Reese Witherspoon and her book club, uh, and she's a producer on it as well, too. Um, and it's uh, just a really terrific story that covers a lot of ground. And Olivia is going to talk about how difficult it is to sort of chop down an adaptation of a novel uh, into a workable two hour premise. Uh, and she's just a really exciting filmmaker that I think we're going to want to keep an eye on because of the way that she approaches this material and works with her actors um, and the work that she did with her cinematographer to capture the nature, uh, as we discuss at length in this interview, uh, is really, really impressive and worth seeing on the big screen. So without further ado, uh, this is the Real Blend interview with Olivia Newman on behalf of the new film, Where the Crawdads Sing. Well, one of our co-hosts isn't here today, but we're three best friends who just 
started a show that we just kind of dive into filmmaking and the in- intricate details of the process. So Great. just get as geeky as you want to get. Well, please. you, you yes. were my favorite conversation because you actually want to talk about the... <laughs> The craft, oh, which is great. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate um, um, it. No, I, 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 you did such an amazing work on this. So, Sean, I'm going to let you go ahead and start this off, man. Man, now I have to raise my game. I feel like the bar has been set incredibly high. Kevin does that, unfortunately. All right. So I want to start with the Marsh, um, obviously, which is a character uh, in the movie. And I honestly believe that your use of location um, was really intoxicating. It really made me so happy that I got to see this on a big screen Yeah. Uh, because of the way that you pulled back to sort of capture as much of the background as possible. Uh, and I just, I know you've put a lot of emphasis on nature photography uh, and it's really magnificent, but I want to know uh, what some of the downsides uh, to filming in a marsh are because <laughs> you went to such great lengths to get this, this photography, but I know it couldn't have been easy. Yeah. Oh, there, <laughs> where do I begin? Um, <laughs> well, uh, let's see. Um, you know, the, the hardest thing about making the movie was the weather. So that's just, you know, we were shooting in Louisiana in May and June. We chose May because it's supposedly a drier month. So we had front loaded all of our exteriors to May and saved our cover sets for June. But we oh, ended cool. up we ended up getting an unprecedented amount of rain in May. I mean, broke sure. records. And yeah. so we kept having to shoot, you know, our cover sets early. And so what the crazy thing that happened was we had so much rain that all of our exterior sets like Kaya's yard and Jumpin's, you know, where we had built Jumpin's um, store. By the time it stopped raining and the sun finally came out, they were all underwater. I mean, there was a oh lake God. around Kaya's house. You couldn't get to it. You know, you literally <laughs> was a lake surrounding our house. Um, Jumpin's dock was underwater, so we couldn't shoot any. We couldn't even shoot on boats. So we had this beautiful five days of the most beautiful sunny weather and we had to shut down it was so it was excruciating um we couldn't even you know i kept saying well why don't we get out on boats why don't we start shooting on the boats but you couldn't load on the boats because all of the you know docks were underwater right so it was um you know it's not just the the torrential rain but then you have the rising tides you know one of the things that we learned the hard we had built kaya's We'd chosen this perfect place to build Kaya's house. We knew we wanted to shoot it on location in, you know, in the in a place where we could go from inside her house to outside her house seamlessly with the camera. I didn't want to be shooting sure. on a stage and then, right. you know, and, and using blue screen. We, we wanted to be immersed in the landscape um, because what you see in Kaya's world is she brings the marsh into her house over time. Absolutely. More and more of the marsh comes into her house. So we wanted that to mm-hmm. be fluid. Well, we picked this beautiful spot to build it and um, the rising tides would bring water up to like halfway up her, you know, her yard in the middle of the day. So we'd shoot a whole scene looking one way, you know, in Mm. the morning, we'd go for lunch and come back and it would be underwater and we'd suddenly have to reblock it closer to the house or figure out how are we going to not show that, you know, this is all underwater and it turned into a mud fast. So then we just, her whole yard was one giant mud pit for a while. And our poor oh, greens men were having to bring in greens constantly to hide <laughs> it. And, you know, we have cameras out there in the mud. I mean, I have so many pictures of my clothes that are just covered in mud because it just turned into such a, anyway. So <laughs> I don't even want to ask about mosquitoes because I can't imagine mosquitoes in Louisiana oh my in, God. in May. I have to say I was I was most worried about the bugs and the snakes 
and the alligators, and they were the least of our problems. <laughs> oh, good. They good. really were. Wow. We discovered an amazing natural bug spray that mm. we got from mm. this. Um, they do these uh, kayaking uh, tours on the bayou, and we bought it from one of this one of these. Um, um, places that does tours they had they carried this bug spray and they swore this works even at sunset when the mosquitoes come out and it and it truly did so we had the uh, bugs covered we had net you know netting that we wore if you know if we needed to but it was the weather and the tides the and the tides. rising oh yeah gosh. that was what yeah. was really hard <laughs> You were, you yeah, were like it, yeah. how's toronto at this time <laughs> <Yeah>. of year <laughs> You know, it's funny because Olivia and I were talking earlier for the television junket. And one of the things I was talking to you about was the sound design. Because one of the things I really loved about the film, which made me really lean in, was when we would be inside the house and then you would hear somebody arrive, whether they'd be on a boat or a car. And like you would be in as an audience member wondering who was arriving. And to your point about walking in and out of the house and not yeah. doing a shot on location and then a shot on stage. Right. like these these like almost like wonders in a way where just she'll leave the house, go out the door, go into the marsh. It's a really kind of a, a special thing from an immersion perspective, you know, but in terms of like film and media and, and books, they're, they're two completely different mediums. And there are things that work in a film world that don't work in a book world, vice yeah. versa. Yeah. Um, was there something in the book that you just couldn't achieve in the film world or something that maybe you manipulated to work in the film world? Like what was the most challenging aspect of the story to bring to film? Um, and was there something you wish you could have done that just wasn't possible? Um, I think, you know, and the book is, a, it's structured differently. You go into different characters, points of view in different chapters. Um, and so you get, you know, you get to, um, you know, you get to explore these other characters uh, in their own worlds. Um, mm. And I just felt that for the movie, we wanted to be rooting for Kaya and following Kaya as much as possible. Mm. If we, if this was a 10 episode television series, then we could have all of these different characters and their perspectives. But for a two hour movie where I wanted to make sure we could capture the romance and this and the mystery and her survival tale, you know, and what happens in her childhood and, you know, all of there was no way we were going to be able to give all of those characters that much of our um, time, which I would have loved mm -hmm. to do. You know, I would have loved I would love to adapt this to a television series someday and, uh, mm -hmm. and be able to do that. But um, so that was that was the challenging thing is how do we maintain these relationships that are so important to Kaya's arc um, without giving them their own chapter? So how can we mm -hmm. get across as much as possible through Kaya's eyes who Tate is, who Chase is, you know, who Mabel and Jumpin' are to her, um, but still, you know, make them feel really rich and lived in and full characters um, without necessarily going into all of their worlds. Um, so that was, I think that was um, one of the challenging things about, you know, adapting it to a movie. Was there a shot that you uh, in the book when you were reading it, like that you envisioned as a filmmaker that you and Polly would that you could pull off and you go, all right, that's how I envisioned it when I read it. And then the way we shot it is exactly how I envisioned it when I read it. Um, there is, um, you know, there is the the shot where Tate. I don't know if I should. I don't know if I should give this away. It's a spoiler. Uh, okay, let spoil me think of. Okay, that's let me fine. think of a shot that is not a spoiler. It's just about to give away a big uh, spoil. Um, <laughs> you know, the the there is the image of Kaya's mother leaving 
and holding mm. the blue suitcase and wearing, you know, her alligator heels. And, you know, that is such a vivid image in the book. Mm. And it's also one of those images that as a mother just was gutting to me. I just I had to yeah. put the book down and cry and like give myself a minute before I could go back because it's just, you know, you can't imagine the state that woman had to be in in order to 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 do that. Um, mm. And so capturing, you know, capturing that visual was so important um, yeah. and the path that she goes down and, you know, um, the place where we built her house. If you look one way, you're looking into this gorgeous lagoon with the cypress uh, trees and the Spanish moss. And if you look the other way, it's wide open space and there's a giant mansion called the Otis House. And there are all these big, beautiful live oak trees, you know, with those drooping limbs and the Spanish moss, but it's wide open. And my production designer, Sue Chan, said, this is where we should build Kaya's house. And I said, Sue, it needs to feel nestled into the middle of nowhere in the woods and there needs to be a path for Ma and how are we going to do this? And she had a vision for how she could bring in greens and use the, the trees that were already there and put, you know, and mix in greens and create that scent. We had woods off to the left, but over to the right was a mansion. Mm. And so she managed with her greens team and her incredible crew to create the sense that you are really in the middle. Every time I look at Kaya's house, I cannot believe how it feels so remote. <laughs> and yeah. she created that path for Ma. We, you know, it was a lot of discussion about how the path should wind and which branches we should use to create that sort of, you know, curvature and, um, it was, you know, I remember when we shot the scene of Ma coming back down the path, we were all oh in tears at the monitor because yeah. that's such a, it's a really, without mm. giving anything away, it's a very powerful moment in the book as well. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Olivia, I have to ask real fast while you're talking about production. Did you build the fire tower uh, itself or did you find an existing structure? So um, interestingly, we, um, our associate producer, Veronica, who's uh, my assistant on the shoot, her, she has family down in Louisiana and um, her uncle knew of this fire tower that was on this remote piece of land that was exactly how it's described in the boat where you mm. go up to the top and you look out and it's marshland. Um, right. It is not accessible by road um, and there's no practical way to shoot up in a, a fire tower that high. But okay. we were able to use it as our model um, and we got drone footage, you know, for our plates from... we went right down to that fire tower and used a drone to get all of our surrounding plates. And then we chose a location where we built the base of it. And then the rest mm. is extension going all the way up. Okay. Cause I was going to say that it's weathered perfectly. Like oh, it really yeah. made me <laughs> yes. believe that you found an existing. And he pushes the grate over the hole. Like that, yes. that, 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 yeah, I know exactly what you're talking yes. about. Sean. Well, we built yeah. the yeah. base of it in one location and then we did the top of it against um against green screen mm. movie yeah. magic isn't it amazing okay so i want to focus on um <laughs> because now that you say it and as somebody who hadn't read the book uh going into the the movie you don't realize until the end exactly how much time you cover and how much right. ground has to be covered yeah. you essentially covered two full relationships in kaya's life yeah not to mention all of the legal aspects of it which you have right. to get into and i think you balance it all Beautifully, but at the heart of it, um, Daisy and Taylor need to have chemistry, yes. uh, you know, for the story to really work. So yeah. I want to know if you remember the first time that you uh, realized, oh, OK, I'm good. Uh, they have a spark because I think that they had a real you know, oh, yeah. ignition between the two of them. Yeah. I mean, the first time I saw Taylor read 
it's interesting. Taylor read for Chase first, and it was he. It, it was mm. you know it was not the right energy because Taylor is he has that genuine warmth, uh, you know that is Tate. And yeah. when, then when I heard him read Tate, I it was you know I I, I had that feeling of oh my god that is. Mm that's the guy who's just pure love. Um, and that, you know, that really is <laughs> Taylor. Every time he yeah. would come to set, we would say, oh, here comes our ray of sunshine, you know, because we'd be <laughs> shooting all this sort of darker material and, you know, hard childhood. And, you know, and then we'd have a scene with Taylor and Daisy. It was, oh, what a relief we get to go into this <laughs> happiness. Um, but they, when they read, they did a chemistry read together and, um, you know, they, you felt that connection that, and it's a very specific Kaya and Tate connection where he's, mm -hmm. it is not, um, it's not that electric chemistry. It is a deep, deep love. It is a deep respect. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's more of an intellectual connection between those characters. And so it had to be a different kind of chemistry. And, um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, and they, you know, as people, they get along so well, and there is a real genuine friendship there that I think really comes through. Awesome. You know, so Olivia, I fell in love with Kaya's character, the character. I was I, I wish I could have met her um, because I just loved her curiosity. I loved she's a badass. I also thought little details like how she didn't want her name cut in the cake. And I'm like, just like I love the way she viewed the world. I mean, there was something about the way you and Polly captured her, her face or even her first shot where her eyes are closed and she opens up and she's breathing behind that tree. Um, for you to be behind that camera and then stop production and then you're finished and you go into editing and post and now you're promoting the film. Do you miss that character? I mean, cause I feel like being behind that camera to witness what Daisy did, it's like, a, it's a revel it's a revelation that performance is phenomenal. And I just wonder like how special that was to be behind that camera. And then do you kind of miss being on set with her, the Kaya specifically? Yeah, no, that's, it, um, it's funny that you should ask that because that's how it, it it is how it feels. And I re remember it in you know the last stretch of editing, my wonderful editor Alan Bell saying, oh, "I'm going to miss this." And yeah. usually in the edit, you you get kind of tired of it or you need a break because you're just you can't see straight anymore and you don't know if anything's working or not working because you've just been looking at it over and over. And um, I never got tired of it because I just I yeah. loved being in her world. I really just. And I, I, you know, Daisy is so captivating and, you know, I would I would forget what I was, you know, we'd be watching to check for sound or to see if a cue worked. And I would just get pulled into watching the movie and I would I would have to say, wait, stop and go back. I, I got sucked in again. Let me look at it again. You know, this time I'll listen, you know, because <laughs> um, you're in it. Yeah, yeah, you're in it. And uh, yeah, I think that it, I think she's I think Kaya is a really um, special and unique view of the world and that's mm. that's you know really what drew me to the material is oh my god I want to I want to tell the story of this of this young woman who I've never seen on screen before but I I want to tell it through her eyes I want to experience the marsh through Kaya's eyes because she sees things in a way that other people don't and her experience of that landscape mm. is so different from other people and you know the way that she feels loneliness so deeply means that when she actually connects with another person it is so meaningful to her oh, yeah. um there's so much you know there's so much weight to her taking that feather from tate 
is a huge moment for her because she spent so much time hiding from other people. You know, mm -hmm. so just being able to like, you know, dive into that uh, character's world was, I never got, I never got tired of it. And I do, I miss it all the time. Every time yeah. I have to go and, you know, oh, you have to come back and, you know, I had to go and do a screening the other morning for Dolby. And um, I was just going to spot check it because it was just a slightly different color grade. And I, they started playing it and I got sucked in again. And suddenly I looked at my watch and said, oh, God, I have to start spot checking and I have to be out of here because yeah. I just don't, you know, I never got tired of it. It's special. It's a special performance and it really is a special character. So it really is. Well, I want to bring, I want to get uh, transition to another uh, really special character, an actor who we've admired forever is David Strathairn oh. um, and how fantastic oh. he is. Um, I'm a sucker for courtroom thrillers anyway. <laughs> and so anytime you get those scenes, you yeah. just know you're like teeing up an actor, yes. you know, to deliver outstanding material. So what were those days like? Uh, how comforting was it to just hand the material over to, to, to David and watch him go? You know, he uh, we shot his um, material the last two weeks of our production. So we had this feeling of like we'd all gone to war because it was such a <laughs> it was such a battle. And yeah. then we had five days in a courtroom where we thought, you know, nothing can stop us. No torrential. <laughs> you know, it's like we have five days inside and then we had jail cell scenes to shoot with him. So it was like we were going to finally be safe. And he was like, you know, this um, I don't know, just this uh, gift at the end of a really grueling shoot to then walk into the hands of, you know, a legend mm -hmm. who. We just, you know, the, those courtroom scenes, he has so many, you know, speeches and, you know, just these moments with different um, characters. And we had all these amazing day players that we had cast for the, you know, the different characters in the town that I was so excited. You know, they were so excited to work with him. And um, we had lots of extras in the gallery, of course, all the time, you know. Mm. And um, after every one of his takes, everybody would start clapping, just, oh, you know, great. just spontaneously applaud as if they were watching a play, because right, that's right. what it felt like. You know, you could watch him do take after take after take and not get tired of it because he was always, he's so incredibly present. Um, every take is different. Um, you can watch some one, somebody who saw an early cut, a friend of mine who saw an early cut of the film said, you can watch David shift in his chair and you're, glued mm -hmm. to the screen. I mean, every yeah, yeah. moment is um, is real and, uh, you know, and deep. And um, and I think Daisy just loved those days because she didn't have to say anything and she got yeah. to work with this, uh, you know, with this legendary actor um, who just brought something, just brought an entirely new uh, energy to the whole, to the whole movie. It was really fun. There are it's, moments yeah. when like an answer goes their way, you know, and he just very quietly mm -hmm. gives her and then me a comfort. Yes. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, okay, good. This is going in the right direction. Yes. Or letting so. her draw. That, that, <laughs> I loved those little, like even just watching him get up from his chair. You're so right about the movement. Like there was something about that way that was done. Yes. It was like graceful, like yeah. in, a, in a, in a very interesting way. Yes. He's such an interesting so. character because he's, you know, he's retired but he's come back to do this thing. He's known her since he was a, she was a child and, you know, never did much for her, but now recognizes mm. that this is a time, this is a time where he can actually, you know, do something uh, and make a difference. And, and he's, you know, reflecting on 
his own, you know, life and the way that, you know, he, like so many of the town's people, either ignored or at worst, you know, ostracized this young woman. And, you know, for what? Because she was poor and because she mm -hmm. was, you know, living in, you know, living by little means. Um, and so he really allows us as an audience to sort of reflect on our own prejudices and biases and how ingrained they are and, you know, mm -hmm. how we can go through life and not realize that we have completely overlooked or underestimated somebody based on our based on those, you know, sort of um, sometimes very uh, subconscious biases. Mm. You know, we're talking about the feather uh, and how important that becomes to the story and the friendship and the relationships and the characters. Um, I was just curious for you growing up, did you have anything that you collected like that that meant a lot to you that you then continued collecting in your life? Um, something that kind of was that important to you? Ah, oh, interesting. Um, you know, the only, the one thing that comes to mind is I was an avid journaler as a kid. I would just fill yeah. journal after journal after journal, which, you know, Kaya does as well. Um, yeah. and you know, I have, you know, boxes of these journals from childhood still in my parents' yeah. house. I'm sure they're desperate for me, uh, <laughs> to get rid of, but you know, that definitely, uh, spoke to me, all of her notes and her, you know, um, her diaries and her observations. Um, that was uh, is, definitely a big part of my Is it your hand? Childhood. Is it ever your hand in the movie writing? Like in the, James in Cameron the style? <laughs> never, never. <laughs> Titanic. Because isn't that James Cameron's hand in Titanic? Drawing? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. sketch. There's no, no, there. there's no Hitchcockian uh, <laughs> Where's that Olivia Newman cameo? It's right there. It's the hand there drawing is, the A. Delia is in the movie. Delia does oh, have a, as has a cameo, and I will. You will have to look for it, but it's oh. she's very prominent. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Wait, can you give us a hint? I We've seen it obviously. because it will be very distracting. Once you know, then that's all you will focus okay. on in the scene. Wait, but. did you did you ask her to do it? Did she want to do it? How did we that, asked how did that her. We, we asked her. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That is very cool. <laughs> uh, awesome. All right. So any film uh, coming out to theaters, you know, looking for any kind of boost um, would love having Taylor Swift say, I'm going to write a song for you Yeah. You know, yeah. to attach on your credits. Yeah. Um, tell me how you felt the first time that you heard the song uh, that she had turned over. And are you able to even give her notes and you listen to it and say, I need a little bit more <laughs> of this or. <laughs> well, she wrote the song before we had shot the film. So, okay. um, you know, so that's a kind of a nerve wracking thing because you think, well, I haven't shot the film. So how do I know if the song is going to work? Um, but what was amazing was so when I listened to it, I had no idea what to expect. And, you know, it's it was a bit nerve wracking. But when I played it, I had an incredibly emotional response to it. And I think it's because for me, it evoked um that uh, that childhood trauma that Kaya experiences, her her loss of her mother, her longing for her mother, and um, her feeling completely isolated and ostracized because you know of being abandoned. And so I mm. I had a very strong reaction to it, and the feeling it left me with was the same feeling I had when I finished the book. And mm. so immediately I thought, well, this is this is the feeling I want to have at the end of the movie. I already know what the movie's ending is going to be. And so oh, this awesome. will be perfect. This will be the perfect song to sit and listen to as we're absorbing 
what we just witnessed. Um, mm -hmm. And then you kind of cross your fingers and hope, well, once I shoot it, I hope it still works because <laughs> I would love for this song to be the perfect fit for the end of the movie. Um, but it was an unusual, it was an unusual thing because the song was already written and recorded before mm. we shot the film. So it was, it mm. was quite serendipitous that it works so well. That's awesome. It, it really does. It, well, you know, we're, we we love talking filmmaking here. And one of the things I always found fascinating, and this is uh, this is going to be a different jump, but I think it'll make sense uh, in, in the question. But I remember Christopher Nolan talking about how hard it was to film on boats in Dunkirk. Um, and I, obviously you're dealing with two different bodies of water here and things like that. But you do have a lot of shots on boats and you have things like that, which I would imagine are complicated to pull off. And yes. I just remember him talking about how hard just shooting on a boat was. And I just wondered, like, what your experience was, even though these are very different boats, a very different body of water, um, what challenges boating kind of gave you? It's the, I mean, I'd say the weather and the boats were the two hardest parts of shooting this Interesting. movie. Um, yeah, it's, it's really challenging shooting on boats and especially in the marshlands, the water can be very shallow. So you mm -hmm. have to go out and find uh, areas that are deep enough for your fleet of boats. Cause you're not just shooting. You don't just right. have your camera boat and your picture boat. You've got a fleet of boats for the rest of the crew. You know, you have porta potties on a floating barge. Um, and if you have to go to the bathroom, you've got to get boated from, you know, so it's, oh it's a logistical, it's, wow. it's a very challenge. big logistical challenge. Um, and then the other thing is that you're out in the water in the blazing sun, especially in the marshlands where there's no tree cover. And so, you know, it's hot. Um, and then, you know, boats don't, they don't just sit still. So you have to right, anchor them. Yeah. And so you would pick your spot and, you know, what the frame was, but then, you know, getting the boat to be in exactly the right spot or, you know, you have somebody, you know, motoring up and then they stop. And then how do you get their boat to actually not start drifting? And so it's, <laughs> it it's, immensely challenging um that was uh yeah it's immensely <laughs> challenging your answer is why we do this show we want people to understand because that's the thing it looks like it looks so simple not simple but it looks so beautiful and seamless when you watch it but i had no idea you had boats with porter potties like to the right and le or left yeah, of the yeah. frame that's wild and we wanted to you know we wanted to shoot in locations that were as wild and um as possible which meant getting as far from any kind of civilization as you can because you don't want to see houses and the marshland you want to be out you know as as, as remote mm. as possible but the more remote you go then you have to bring everything with you so you know <laughs> Yeah, well, it was very challenging. Awesome. Very. Uh, That's a a perfect way for us to bring this to an end. I'll kick you off uh, on this one. Is that I want I want to celebrate Polly Morgan and the work that she did alongside you, because um, again, the way I sort of started the interview is is the beauty of the cinematography of yes. the film. There's a reason why that backdrop is behind you too, because it really does evoke uh, mm. what you guys captured. And so, if you could just talk a bit about the conversations you guys had early about what you wanted to get out of, because I think that your frames yeah. are, are set up in a way to capture as much of the location as possible yeah. uh, so, so that, that we, we know that you went through what you went through in order to get it. And it really, it really does set a tone for this movie that I think is truly special. Yeah. I mean, I, Polly was one of my, you know, most treasured collaborators on this movie. And from our mm. very first meeting, 
we felt so in sync. I mean, she, you know, brought we whenever you are, you know, trying to get a job on a film, you have to put together a visual uh, lookbook to show how you're imagining mm. what the movie will look like. And our pitch decks were almost identical. I mean, we were drawing mm. from the same references, you know, Jane Campion and Terrence Malick. And um, so, uh, you know, there we had, we already had a common language. Um, and, uh, she's just, she's a, a perfectionist, um, it, sometimes to a fault, <laughs> but you know, it's what she, the way that she lights is exquisite. And she also, when we were, um, talking about, you know, shooting the landscape, the time of day was always very specific. Um, mm. So we have a scene that takes place at dusk, a really important emotional scene in the movie. And we had to shoot it over three days because you only get an hour at mm. dusk. Right. So we had right. to break up this very it's a pretty short moment. But, you know, it had it, if we were going to shoot with that perfect blue blue of the you know dusky sky, it had to be um just right. And then we had this vision of, you know, when Kaya's waiting on the beach for Tate to come home. And I said, mm -hmm. I want it to have these hidden dissolve, you know, I want it to dissolve and, and to see the passage of time in the same frame. And right. so picking exact, you know, when we scheduled it, it was like, this shot needs to happen at this time, then we'll go off and get this piece, then we'll come back and we'll shoot, you know, it was like, wow. the scheduling of it was very, very precise, so that we could capture, you know, sunsets on, you know, on the beach is exquisite. But if you don't get there at just the right time, you're going to miss it. Right. And so right, right. there was so much attention to detail. Um, and, um, you know, I and when we were putting together our shot list, we would take images from, you know, movies that were inspiring to us to say we want to make sure we frame this close up of Daisy. We want the camera to be from this higher angle. And we would put, you know, the image in our shot list so that when we were on set, it was a quick shortcut to say this is what we're thinking. And, um, you know, she put all of our you know visual images um, in the camera truck so that everybody on her team knew exactly what movie we were making. So we were all in sync and all on the same page. Um, and I just have to, you know, throw a shout out to Mitch Dubin, who was our camera operator who's also a legend um, and just, you know, we shot a lot of this on remote head so that we could create this sort of moving lyrical camera. And, you know, every idea that we had, Mitch would take it to the next level. Um, he was a wonderful collaborator um, and and really just gave the, you know, gave movement to the camera, that sort of like lyrical yeah. dance that um yeah, it's just exquisite. Yeah. So, and you so see great. that in the in the in that oneer which I mentioned to you earlier, where it's like a, it's almost like stitched, but like in a beautiful way, where you're going around the room during the biology book moment. I have I to that say, was freaking like, awesome, man. That was awesome. one of the more challenging days. So every time you bring that up, yeah. I <laughs> because we yeah. had to shoot it poor man style with hidden cuts, and you know, normally you would shoot something like that on a, uh, an act, you know, actual moco, you know. Um, that we could not afford and we couldn't, it was, would have weighed too much for our set to be able to handle. So we had to shoot wow. it with these hidden cuts amazing. and it was just excruciating. I wish we had more time. So thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Really, really fun it. chatting with you. Thank you so much to our friends at Sony for setting up that interview with Olivia Newman. Make sure you guys go check out where the crawdads sing when it hits theaters. Uh, really, I'm I'm so glad that I got a chance to see it on the big screen because the photography that they capture in this and the way that the marsh really comes to life and actually serves as a character um, is is truly phenomenal. And, uh, you know, it just seems like in the summertime when we're constantly talking about the 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 comic book blockbusters 
and the visual effects things uh, that drive the industry nowadays when an adult drama comes around like this uh, it's really worth highlighting and i think um the people who are looking for something a little more substantial at the theaters are going to find it in this uh, adaptation of where the crawdads sing so one more reminder, and you guys will see it on our social feeds. We're changing up the blend game for this week, and we want you guys to participate uh, as much as possible on the social feeds. Or if you want to send us an email at realblend.com, we're changing it to hashtag scareblend. It is the movie that made you the most scared when you saw it in a theater. Uh, let's go with theater. I don't want to I don't want to go with the uh, watching it at home on streaming. That's cheating. I want you guys to be in a in a darkened movie theater, uh, potentially surrounded by other people. Uh, who are basically just uh, burying your head uh, in your uh, burying your head in your hands and hiding it away from the screen because you're just too terrified to watch what's going on the screen. Hashtag ScareBlend. Use that and we will read it on next week's show. Uh, we'll be back with a full show next week where we're going to talk about Jordan Peele's Nope and hopefully a few other really exciting things that we can talk about in next week's show. So keep it right here. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, Rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.